0: Welcome to the Ministry to Parents podcast. Here's your hosts, Elizabeth and Jeremy Lee. This is the podcast for church leaders that helps you build a ministry to parents. I'm Jeremy Lee.
1: And I'm Elizabeth Lee. And today we are kicking off a new podcast series on anxiety. And this is the first of three episodes.
0: This topic of anxiety is one that is so uh, common in the world of parenting and kids and teenagers. We just knew this. we needed to really address this in our series, and so this is going to be really, really great.
1: We've invited Jason Gibson from Parent.TV to speak into this subject on anxiety. He's one of the leading U.S. parenting educators and authors on this subject. He's been published in journals such as Topics in Early Childhood Special Education and closing the gap. And one of my favorite ways that you can find them is on Instagram at lunch with Jason underscore. And he just gives ideas for parenting in real life. So church leaders, it's an incredible resource to just send out a quick text to your families and say, Hey, check out at lunch with Jason underscore. And, uh, and give them these little quick tips because this was developed. Jason developed this Instagram account because people were asking him at lunch about parenting advice. And so it's just a really creative way to reach parents. And so we invited Jason onto the ministry to parents podcast to speak specifically to families about anxiety and he had such incredible content to give that we actually took it and put it into the material so m2p members if you're a member of m2p go check out your toolbox this month because you have this content in a pdf form that you could send straight to parents
0: And just, uh, first of all, we've known Jason for years and years, trust him a lot. Uh, And just as a little bit of a backstory of where all this came about, we had just, we had just scheduled him for a simple interview on anxiety. Uh, And as, and as, as God tends to do um, in, in that interview, it just started to feel uh, for all of us like, wow, this is more than just a one interview thing and uh, it just became, uh, you know, kind of holy moment territory. And he just started spouting that wisdom that we were just like, oh my goodness, we need to turn this into a whole uh, series.
1: So before we get to the really good stuff, we're going to head to a commercial break. And when we come back, you're going to get to hear from Jason Gibson from at lunch with Jason underscore.
2: Most of us know we should be ministering to the parents in our church, but many of us have no idea how to do it. When you become a member of Ministry to Parents, you'll be able to offer a steady stream of parent videos, family discipleship resources, parent events, games for families, and so much more. It's like the Netflix of parent ministry resources. You don't have to figure out your ministry to parents on your own. Let us be a part of your team by joining ministrytoparents.com today. To learn more and get a bunch of free resources, go to
1: ministrytoparents.com slash member. Welcome back, and without further ado, here is Jason Gibson on Anxiety.
2: You know, what's interesting, and I'm going to use some boring counselor terms, but uh, you can break your kids down into these two categories. There's externalizers and there's internalizers. So, And that's true for us as adults too, but basically your externalizers are the kids that take what's going on in their life and on their inside and they express it out. So your externalizers are the kids that tend to get in trouble. And they're the kids that are climbing the walls, setting the fires. I'm being a little extreme there, but they're the kids that chase after you that say, mom, 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 or dad, 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 or they break stuff or they're, they're just the ones that tend to get in trouble because they're communicating what they're feeling on the inside, outside so that you can see it. And if you have externalizing kids then praise the Lord, because you have an idea what's going on because they're going to show you every single day. But then you also have the internalizers, and those are the kids that process things on the inside. So when we're looking at our children and our teenagers and if they're struggling with anxiety, you tend to know with they're externalizers because they're going to tell you or show you. Um, the one thing that we do have to be cautious of is sometimes when they're manifesting the symptoms of anxiety, they're doing things that get them in trouble, and we think that they're doing bad things, or even worse, we say that they're being bad kids. When really, it's just a method of communicating, hey, I'm super unsettled, and things are out of control, and I'm just reacting in a hundred different ways so that I can get your attention. So that's how an anxious externalizer might look. Um, And it can take many different flavors, but you'll see it and you'll know it. But an internalizer, you tend to not see it until the problem is pretty huge, because the more anxious they might become, they they could, your child might um, withdraw even more. Um, and what really makes it difficult is sometimes anxiety actually is reinforced because of their successful behavior. Because your kid is so anxious about getting the wrong grade, getting the question wrong, and getting a bad grade, so then they overstudy and they just become consumed with it. Or maybe they're so worried about getting in trouble, that they're so perfectionistic about the about the choices that they make that it just consumes them. So as a parent, I'm over here saying, great job, I can't believe you studied that much. When I focus on just what happens on the outside and I don't take time to look at what's going on in the inside. So we just have to be super cautious that knowing our kids, do they express what's going on out so that we can see it or do they stop it so that we don't see it until they can't contain it anymore so as a parent you know being aware is really the first step of knowing what you can do next to help encourage them um, and help them find some peace because the opposite of peace can be described as anxiety and that's not something that their shoulders are strong enough to carry right now so we got to be aware, so we can step in
0: and do something. I'm both excited and terrified by that, right? Um, because, because <laughs> here's what happened, <laughs> right? <laughs> here's what happened. You diagnosed something for me uh, that was extremely enlightening. I, I think uh, I can say pretty confidently, we've got one of each.
1: Correct. I was thinking the same thing.
0: Um. So, but I, I imagine church leaders listening to this and saying, "Oh my goodness, okay, I can help now." Families see the difference between those two, I can go in and say externalizer, internalizer. But now I imagine parents hearing that and going... Well, what the crap am I supposed to do with that's that? That's exactly how I feel right now. Exactly. So,
1: so Jason, what you got on? Because what
0: I just heard is my internalizer. I don't need to encourage him, or I'm going to stress him out more. Um, and my externalizer. I, you know, I need to be grateful that he's externalizing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how about let's break down each one, maybe, um, and with with some real practical first steps. I mean, obviously, we know we, they'll need eventually get help maybe, but um, and hopefully we can determine when we need to do that. But uh, let's just go with practical first steps on each one.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I really appreciate you sharing that with that transparency because I'm right there. I've got four kids, and they're all completely different. And that's so difficult because we naturally go to a one-size-fits-all parenting plan. Um, and it's not because there's not – anything wrong with us that we do it's just naturally we're drawn that way because as parents we're managing so much that we're constantly trying to simplify and just we just raise our kids and sometimes it's just like can i get them up get them to school or now in the midst of the pandemic do their home virtual school and then feed them and eventually get them back in the bed and then it just becomes overwhelming thinking how can i separate all of these things to meet their needs in the way that God created them, it can get overwhelming. So what I, I encourage all of us to do and, and know this, that I'm coming at this. Yeah. I run a counseling practice. Yeah. I've done all that, but I'm a dad. So I'm not just trying to share these super fancy ideas that you'll find in a book or a blog post without considering the ability to actually do them because if what we're to do as parents is so complicated that we're not actually able to do it, it really doesn't matter if the strategy works or not because we can't do it. It's too hard. Mm-hmm. So I want us to camp out in like practical land mm-hmm. so that these are some real things that we can do that will make a difference in the lives of our children. So the first thing that I encourage myself that other parents to do is to avoid the ditches. All right. so recognizing you've got your kids and you're going down this road and um, And if you look on one side, this one side of the ditch is becoming angry and confrontational. And really, this is not effective for your externalizing kid or your internalizing kid. Because what happens with your externalizing kid is they're climbing all over everything. And you're like, get down. Stop it. What's your problem? What are you doing? Well, they may not be able to articulate it. And then you're so revved up as a parent because, you know, your kid doesn't know you've had an incredibly difficult day at work or you've had an incredibly long day at home working from home and trying to keep them safe and trying to get them to do work. They, they don't realize that. So what happens is they're, your externalizers are getting in trouble at home doing things that they shouldn't do when really it's just anxiety that's manifesting in a way that they don't understand how to deal with it. So they're just doing all kinds of things, almost like they're running away from it. See, if, if I've got these thoughts that make me super anxious and make me feel uncomfortable, If I'm an externalizer, I'm going to do a whole bunch of stuff that allows me the opportunity to not have to think about what I'm worried about. See, being an athlete, like if I'm super anxious about my grades in school and are my parents going to stay married and, you know, all of that other stuff, well, I can go out and play basketball, and that gives my brain a little bit of break from having to constantly think about all those things that are going on. Well, if your kid doesn't have outlets like that, that they can readily access, then they're stuck stewing in those thoughts. And that's when they get in trouble because they're trying to come up with, well, what can I do to help avoid thinking about this? And just to be clear, like your kids are not actively thinking that. Like you're not going to say to your 12-year-old, oh, I see you're engaging in problem behaviors because you're trying to avoid
1: the intrusive thoughts in your mind right now. You can't because I'm pretty sure i tried that once and you looked at me like I was crazy. Exactly. I thought you could, so you can't.
2: Okay. So what happens is, is when you confront your kids because they're doing all these things they shouldn't be doing, then you as a parent start getting angry and confrontational because you're trying, you're expecting an emotionally undeveloped child or teenager to express emotions and emotional understanding that many adults don't even arrive at. So you're like angry because they just broke something and you're trying to get an understanding of the deep meaning of why they're doing that mm-hmm. they can't articulate it then you get angry and now you're angry at them and it just multiplies the tension in that room mm-hmm. but let's take an internalizing kid right so you notice that your kid they haven't come out of the room for 3 days you open it up, they're doing their schoolwork, and you're like, oh, I'm so proud of my child. They're going to be the CEO of a large company because they're so you know, consistent and committed. And then it comes out that their grades are bad, and you know they've just been isolating. And then you get really angry at them because that child won't talk to you. What's wrong? What's going on? Why won't you talk to me? And then you get more angry and confrontational. And what that does to the internalizer is it multiplies the anxiety that they're already feeling right? Because that internalizing kid is anxious because of grades or friend trouble or looking at things they shouldn't look at and they're feeling all of this guilt and all of this worry. And now you're coming at them headstrong and angry and demanding that they explain to you what's going on and they might not even be able to find the words. So now you take the anxiety they're already feeling about their situation and then you're adding this additional oh my gosh, mom is really angry at me now. And you're adding more anxiety to that situation. And it's just multiplying. So instead of, you just can't reach into a kid and rip a heart understanding conversation out of them. It just doesn't work. They always shut down. And then when they shut down for a while and you still come at them, then they become explosive. So That's right there, it just just doesn't work. So I encourage us parents to stay out of the angry and confrontational ditch because it just doesn't work. And it really doesn't work for overly anxious kids. But then on the flip side, the other ditch that we got to watch and be cautious of is making sure that when our children are anxious or in trouble, that that's not the only time that we attend to them. Because... The other time, we're angry and just letting them know that it's not okay. But then on the flip side, if the only time we engage in heart-to-heart conversations with our children is when they're having very difficult, anxious moments, then we can inadvertently, over a long period of time, reinforce the idea that mom and dad, they really dial into my heart when my heart is broken and we don't want to we don't want to create that pattern for them that hey you know what I'm working from home and I'm super busy so you go over there and you do your thing and I know you're busy but then we don't attend to them until there's a breakdown or a meltdown so as parents we've got to make sure that we take the steps and engage with the hearts of our children when things are good as much or more than when things are bad. So we don't want to be overly angry and stay out of the ditch, but we also don't want to only attend when things are wrong because we're creating problematic parental patterns and letting them know that, oh, they really value me when things are bad. So hear me, I'm not saying don't attend to your kids when things are wrong. I am saying do that and make sure that you're connecting heart to heart when things are right, in addition to when things are wrong. So those are two big picture, but really practical things to do that we've got to avoid the ditches, especially for kids that are struggling with anxiety.
1: So how could you, do you have a practical example? You you said engage the heart of our children when things are good. Do you have a practical example on what that looks like?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well really it's just, it, it's, super, it's, it's super simple. Now, there's a difference between simple and easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's simple. It's like it's not overly complicated. It's talking to your child or even asking them a question when they're not in trouble. So with some of our kids, right, it's our, our huge externalizers, like it's almost like you have to catch yourself and say, oh, oh, my gosh, they're not doing anything wrong. I've got to slide in a connection point. Right? So some of our kids, we're going to have to look really close to find those. But by and large, most of our kids, we can find those moments throughout the day. And it's just really, it, it, it doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be any of that stuff. It's just saying to them, and however you want to say it, hey, I see you. That's it. I see you. And that I see you. I'm not seeing the results of what you've done. I just see you. It's not, oh, wow, I loved watching you play your basketball game today, right? Because basketball is what they've done. It's an extension of them, but it's not who they are. Um, Or, oh, wow, I really like the grade that you got on the progress report because I signed in to the system and I saw your grades. Way to go. Yes, acknowledge all of those, but just have a conversation, allowing them to know that they are seen. So it could be they're working on their virtual school if you're, school district is doing that and coming next to them and just sitting down to them and say, Hey, how are you? And that's it. And if they give you really bad answers, like fine, (laughs) instead of slipping into, okay, I'm going to need more than fine right now. Just say, Oh, great. Thanks. I'm glad to hear that you're fine. I want you to know that I'm here even when you're not fine. And you're not trying to pull out conversation from them. You're merely allowing them to know that you're showing up for them and that they are important enough for you to engage with them, even when they're not in trouble. A lot of our kids, we primarily talk to them when they're in trouble. So when you roll up in their room and you say, Hey, how are you? Then they start getting real jittery. <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, what did I do? What did I do? You know, why are mom in here talking to me? Uh, so making sure that you just connect with them in whatever simple way that you can. And it could be as simple as, hey, how are you? Or if that's, like, too confrontational, like, just get a snack from the kitchen and walk to wherever they are and be like, hey, I was fixing a snack, thought you might like this. Like, even if they don't like it, even if they look at you and say, I don't want that, then say, okay, that's fine, I was just thinking about you. See, it's not about the snack but it's about them seeing that they were thought of when they weren't in trouble. I've got this, um, this exercise that I do with families about how to take the temperature of your home. And what I do in this exercise is I have parents draw three columns and in those three columns, the first one is correct. The second one is connect. And the third one is direct. So those are three interactions that we tend to have. Almost every interaction will fall under one of those three categories. So every time – and I have parents think, okay, let's go through just today from when your child woke up until right now, and let's put a column and let's checkmark each interaction. So correct is when you're telling them that they're doing something wrong. Direct is when you're telling them to do something. Like It's not that they did anything wrong. It's just saying, okay, I need you to do this. It's not that they're in trouble. You're just telling them to do something. And the connect is when you have an interaction with them, when – They're not being told what to do, and they're not being told what they're doing is wrong. So that right there is like a parenting thermometer. So if we start when our kids woke up in the morning, well, you go wake them up. You say, hey, good morning. It's time to wake up. I need you to get up and get ready for school. That's a direct. Not bad. You wake your kids up, but that's a direct. And then they don't get up. So you come back 15 minutes later, and you're like, I told you to get up. I need you to get up right now because we're going to be late. So then, bing, that's a correct column because you're telling them what they did wrong. And then they get up in the morning and they go down to the kitchen and they show up in the kitchen and you're there sipping your coffee, just hoping that the caffeine will turn your social skills on and you as a parent look at them and you say, good morning, I am so glad that you are here. And you give them a big hug. Now that's a connect. So we would go through and we would just tally mark in all of those. So what we find is in that, that gives you the temperature of the relationship. And it's not that it's bad. It just tells you where you need to go. And 100% of the families that I've ever worked with, it's always direct and it's always correct. And the only thing that we work on is increasing the connect. Because if you've got an overly anxious kid, I would guarantee that it's probably lots of directs and corrects. I encourage families, let's work on the connecting piece because knowing that you're known and that you're seen and that your parents are there give you a firm foundation in which whatever stacks on top of it, you're going to be okay because you know that is there. And I just I want to speak to divorced families and single parents. That can be true for you the children in your home regardless if you know, if dad or the other caretaker or mom, whoever is the other parent that doesn't live with you, even if they choose to not do it. You as a single parent can also give them that foundation. And it's not built on magic, it's just built on consistently consistency. Showing up, still correcting and directing, you gotta do that. But making sure that you get more connections in there so that they know that you're there even when
1: they're not in trouble. What happens when, you, like, I'm an externalizer, as you're describing it, right? So, as a mom, I'm an externalizer, and I have a kid who is an internalizer. And so I am was feeling anxiety. I had a like it was hilarious. You nailed it when you're like, "Hey, I've had a long day of work, I'm working from home, right? There's just there's a lot going on." And then he was feeling anxiety. There's a lot going on because uh, there's a hybrid going back and forth with school. So he's going to actually be coming home, and but he's an internalizer. And so as you're talking, I'm going, "Okay, I think he's feeling anxiety." based off what you're saying. So how, and I'm feeling anxiety and I'm an externalizer. And so how, how can I have a relationship with my son in a way that doesn't overwhelm him when we're both walking through anxiety?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's just a great question. So, and there's a lot of directions that we can go with it. Um, So I'll, I'll start with this, that what we know about anxiety, like from the scientific literature, from scripture, from our own personal lives, that anxiety is contagious. And um, it like spreads like a virus. So if one person in the family is feeling it, then everyone feels it. And that sometimes their anxiety is a trigger for my anxiety. And then it just goes into this, this really painful destruction loop until everyone is so utterly exhausted that we just give up and defeat. So it's not that the anxiety issue was ever solved. It was just that exhaustion caused us to not have any more energy to move forward. And then, anxiety is actually a bunch of self-contained events. So then you're exhausted, you admit defeat, you go to sleep, you wake up the next morning, and that feeling, that event of an anxious moment, and a panic attack is an overly, overly anxious moment, but that that moment is actually over. So that's how you're able to typically cope when you wake up the next morning, because whatever was super pressing or super you were feeling it in that moment um, is actually over. It doesn't mean that the situation's resolved. It just means the effect of anxiety is not as, as severe. So recognizing that anxiety is contagious what I do in my own life and what I try to learn about my children and their lives is their anxious anxiety process. Because there's really four parts to, to this anxious process. It just gets replicated over and over. That there's some sort of a trigger, that's where it starts. That this trigger is something that really clicks off an event. That, I'll, I'll give you a silly a, a trigger, but for some people, clowns are a trigger, right? like they're cool they see a clown and bloop, it's like it sends up the anxiety antenna and says to you in your body cuz you feel it and in your mind cuz you think it hey danger 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 so it doesn't mean that you have an overly anxious event you don't have a panic attack but what it does mean is your the stage is set for anxiety to kick in and take over and to run away like horses so you got your trigger And then you go into an escalation phase. And what that means is now that you're aware that danger is there, however you perceive what that may be, you're starting to rev up. That could mean that your neck gets hot, your ears get hot, you start to sweat, your heart starts to beat. Those are some common ways that we feel it. But we go from an awareness, a trigger that something's not right, to escalating, to increasing of intensity of what's going on with your body and your mind. Until you get to this place where I call the peak, where you're at like max anxiousness. Uh, some people, if it's severe, it could be a panic attack, but that's at that moment where your heart is pounding, you're super angry, whatever it may be, and it looks different in everyone, but you go from trigger to escalate to peak. And at that peak is typically when the greatest conflict happens between parents and kids, because with your internalizing kids, that's when you begin to see it. See, with your internalizing kids, you don't see the trigger typically. You don't see the escalation typically. But when it gets to max, it gets to the peak, you're like, oh, whoa, what's going on? And as a parent, your kid has probably been dealing with this for minutes or even hours. And then once you reach the peak, then eventually you get down to that de-escalation phase. So it's trigger, escalation, peak, and de-escalation. So with us as parents, knowing that I might be this way, and they might be that way and it's different, at first I've got to start with knowing my process and my cycles. Okay, what are my triggers? And when I experience this and I know that I can be heading to an anxious moment, what do I look like when I begin to escalate? And what do I do when I'm at my most anxious, most upset? And then what does it take for me to de-escalate? Because I've got to know myself before I can be what I need to be for my children to help them begin to learn their processes so that they can then deal with it uh, in a most healthy way. I used to be a lifeguard when I was young um, in the college age. And what we learned as lifeguards, what they learned before me, before I came, because back in the old days, uh, they used to swim out to a, a drowning person, and they would reach out and grab them and try to bring them to shore. But what they found was is that as the lifeguard swam out to the person that was drowning, they were in such terror and so afraid, they would latch onto the lifeguard, hold onto them for dear life, and they would sink them and they would both die because that person was in such a such state of fear that they were grabbing a hold of whatever they thought was safe and it would drown both people. So they trained new lifeguards when I came around that you swim out to the drowning person and you take the raft and you push it out to the person that's drowning so that they can grab a hold of the raft while you yourself are making sure that you stay safe. And then you swim to shore while they hold on to the raft. And the same idea so with our children when they're at max peak anxiety is that I've got to know my cycle so that I can stay safe and I can stay in healthy parent mode so that I don't get stuck in the cycle that they're in, The kid, my kids in that very moment. So maybe my trigger is when my kid starts getting angry and swinging stuff around the room. Well, I've got to be aware. Okay. I feel my, I feel I'm escalating. I'm getting upset. I can feel it because in that moment as a parent, anxiety is actually speaking to me. It's like, Oh no, what have I done wrong as a parent? Oh no, I've got an 11 year old that's throwing books around the room. Like that's really bad. Oh my gosh, is something wrong with my kid. Oh my gosh, does my kid have a disorder? Oh my gosh. What if the neighbor's here? Because I live in an apartment. Oh, my God. I mean, it's like all of these things. So I'm feeling all this, and I'm automatically escalating, and I get to the peak moment. So then I emotionally vomit on my kid when I need to be aware of that so that I can help them deal with it. So I've become part of the solution and not part of the problem.
0: Hey, thanks to Jason Gibson for part one. This is only part one. We have uh, more coming next week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the show uh, on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to. We will be back next week. Jason will continue and talk to us a little more about uh, when, how to know when it's time to go see a professional for anxiety. It's super, super good stuff. You don't want to miss it.
1: And remember, you can send your parents to his Instagram for parenting ideas in real life at lunchwithjason underscore. Thanks for joining the Ministry to Parents podcast. This is the podcast for church leaders that helps them build a ministry to parents. Thanks for joining, and we'll see you next episode.
0: You've been listening to the M2P podcast. To download free parent resources, go to ministrytoparents.com.